Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You might actually be the most derivative one of all. I mean, Christ, the same house. Maybe so. But you forgot the first rule of surviving a stab movie. Never answer the... I'm bored. Wait! Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking You Look Like Gwyneth Paltrow on Food Stamps and not in a good way. We're talking gender business and we're talking My Gaydar is as strong as a bull. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking Mom, who died? <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, who died? Who died? <laughs> Everyone, we are discussing Emma Seligman's 2020 film, Shiva Baby. Um, as we kind of prepped you last week, this is an off-kilter pick for us, but it definitely still applies because it is queer and it has a horror... Uh, horror elements. Yeah, like a through line. Technical horror elements, we'll say, even if the content contained therein is not specifically genre. Yes, I definitely debated whether or not to have something in my intro about, you know, like, Take your anxiety meds because this thing will push you over. I'm telling you, like, I watched this when I was doing, like, you know, my, my Oscar watch for, um, for 2021, 2022. And mm -hmm. I sandwiched this between, like, long movies because, you know, of course, all movies that come out nowadays are, like, two and a half hours long. Sure. And I... I watched it with one of my friends, and he was like halfway through. He was like, "I might need to pause this for a second. I need I am a breather, too maybe a cigarette." <laughs> Basically, <laughs> I mean, in fairness, the lead character takes multiple cigarette breaks, and I have to assume it's because she's trying to escape the same feeling. Oh, a hundred percent. But before we get too far into this, let's bring in our special guest, who's waiting in the wings, Joe. Mm. All right, everyone. She is a horror journalist with bylines at such sites as Fangoria, Pajiba, Bloody Disgusting, Anatomy of a Scream, and IGM, often writing from a female and Jewish perspective. You may also remember her from our previous episodes on Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, and Saw. Please welcome back, Lindsay Travis. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> a rare return to podcasting. Yeah, wow. Don't miss it. <laughs> Fair, fair. Event of the summer. No, I didn't mean it like that. I meant like that was an that was an order to the audience. Like, don't miss it. 
Not I don't miss it. Oh. That was me being like, event of the summer. That was me. <laughs> that was not clear. It's okay, Lindsay. Just throw us under the bus. Be like, fuck podcasting. I hate no, all of I was you. like, ecstatic to be here. <laughs> I hate uh, free evenings. No. Just- <laughs> well, welcome to Shiva, baby. Um, I think actually out of the three of us, you were the first one to see this movie. Because I remember you telling us about it. Uh, shit, right when you saw it. Yeah, I saw it out of uh, Real Love Fest, which I don't think was where it premiered. It played a couple other places, mm. and I was very much like, give me this movie. Like, I was very uh, adamant about it, and I kind of was just like waiting for it to hit a festival that I would have access to, because I, mm-hmm. I was ready. Well, <laughs> I, I have details on that, because it was supposed to premiere at South By in 2020, but then COVID oh, happened, wow. and South By got canceled. So. <laughs> oh, I want to say it played TIFF. Mm-hmm. I think so. But I didn't did. cover TIFF or I didn't get something along those lines. So I was just very much like, how can I get this? And I was playing Real Love Fest. And I literally like applied for a press badge for one movie only. It's so <laughs> funny because I had seen the poster for this movie a bunch before I actually looked into like what it was. But I never like looked at the poster for this movie. And everyone, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the poster, um, go look it up right now. Because it's great. It, at first glance, it's like, okay, it's Rachel Sinnott in like a white wedding dress type thing. But if you like actually look at it, it's a wedding dress or a dress made of well, cream cheese. Cream cheese. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Apparently, it was actually whipped cream. There's an interview with her, the director, and I want to say somebody from maybe the Hollywood Reporter on the Blu-ray of this. And basically, they talk about how she had to film this. And it was a race against time because the cream kept slipping. So the bagels were falling off of her. Oh, God. (laughs) So they didn't even add that in like in Photoshop. Like that's like all real shit on that poster. I believe so, yeah. Oh, God. I can't even. Like, also the bacteria. Right? I love it. I love it. (laughs) AI can't do that or whatever is the cool thing to say now. It's true. You can't get cream cheese in your vagina through AI. It's true. (laughs) Oh, my God. And believe me. um (laughs) (laughs) We've tried. Well, okay. So, as we said, this movie, while not outwardly a horror film, uh, it has a lot of psychological thriller elements. Cinematography and score are my two things here, and I'll go into this a bit deeper in my production history. But um, in case y'all didn't know, uh, Shiva Baby is an expansion of writer-director Emma Seligman's 2018 short film of the same title. And this was her thesis project while studying film at NYU. Did all of us watch the short? I did not. (laughs) Okay, I did. It's only seven minutes long. (laughs) That's why you're here. If you watch it, scenes from the short are like verbatim in the feature-length film. So it really Mm. is a short that she added stuff to to make this a 77-minute long movie. But it's just obviously a lot less developed. So, you know, she's got – it's not clear if, like, the the guy's a sugar daddy. It seems like he's, like, almost like she's a sex worker. But – um, although I guess would we call her a sex worker in this movie? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, But, like, it ends when his wife shows up with the baby. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, so Seligman said that she felt there was room to expand on the short from early on, uh, but needed motivation from lead actress Rachel Sennett to start working on a feature. And the feature film into production just before the short premiered at the 2018 South by Southwest Film Festival. And despite the short being accepted there, giving Seligman confidence, she said that nobody there was interested in making a low-budget feature. Uh, she then approached Katie Schiller, who she said was the best producer in their graduating class at NYU, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> at Senate's encouragement. 
Okay, so this was a real NYU production. <laughs> Very much so. And going into like kind of like how she wanted to do this, she was inspired by Gia Coppola's 2013 film Palo Alto, with the one with Emma Roberts. Have y'all seen that? No. Okay, apparently the way it portrays the, uh, and I quote, the suffocating and debilitating nature of young female insecurities is what she was going for. Mm-hmm. She was also heavily inspired by Trey Edward Schultz's 2015 film, Cretia, and how its location was used for storytelling. But that's another movie. Um, and Trey Edward Schultz, by the way, y'all, it's the guy that directed It Comes at Night and Waves. Right. Uh, but that's another movie where it's a drama, but it's shot and scored like a horror film. So it's very anxiety inducing. So if you mm. liked the vibe of Shiva Baby, definitely seek out Krisha. I haven't seen it, but my husband loves it. Okay. The production budget of Shiva Baby was $200,000. And getting that financing approved uh, it, well, it was a troublesome task for them. So they sought funding for a year and received some offers from organizations that requested more creative control over the film in return, as you do. They didn't want to do that. <laughs> uh, also, Seligman is a Canadian, and at one point her visa expired, so she had to return to Canada, halting production again. Right. Yeah, that does happen. Yeah. Uh, filmmaker Amanda Kramer, a friend of Seligman, put them in contact with Rhiannon Jones of Neon Heart Productions, who became an executive producer. And it was her involvement that got more investors interested in the project. Again, the business side of things. <laughs> that being said, most of the financing came from outside funding and independent funding from people the production team knew, including the parents of one of the producers. <laughs> that tracks. Yeah. <laughs> I was like waiting for like, at what point was everyone asking their parents? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's an NYU student production, right? Like, hey, we're making a movie about a sugar baby, but also we kind of need to be sugar babies for our parents. They right. need to give us money to make the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The small budget is also part of the reason a single location was used for the film, uh, outside of the opening scene, of course. Uh, The crew were also friends of the producers, and most took a cut in their usual rate, while the film's editor, Hannah Park, was Seligman's roommate. Yeah. Okay, moving on to the casting. And I I think we all know that Rachel Sennett is kind of a big deal right now. Uh, This was her breakout role, uh, but of course she was the scene stealer in last year's Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. And she is the co-lead of uh, Emma Seligman's next feature, the upcoming comedy Bottoms with Ayo Edaburi. Right. That yes. one's going to be huge. I'm so excited. excited. I'm so excited to see it. <laughs> so am I. That was when I missed uh, South by. I've been like biding time, just waiting. Mm-hmm. Shame on you. I know. <laughs> I deserve it. Uh, Seligman noticed Sennett at NYU when she was acting in other students' thesis films and making comedy sketches, thinking that she looked, quote-unquote, like someone she would run into at a family event. Seligman cast Sennett in her own thesis film, The Shiva Baby Short. Uh, They formed a collaborative bond, and Seligman never even thought about casting someone else when she decided to expand it into a feature. That being said, unlike her character Danielle in Shiva Baby, Sennett is neither queer nor Jewish. So, at the time, there were accusations of Jewface directed at the film, although I confess I didn't see a lot of this happening at the time, so I missed it. Admittedly, it's also not something I'm super uh, knowledgeable about, although reading into what Jewface is, I'm kind of like, oh... Maybe mm-hmm. I'm part of the problem there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Trace, you and I had a back and forth exchange where we were both very surprised to learn that Rachel Sennett is not Jewish and not queer. Because we both went into this being like, yeah, that's why she always plays all these roles. And then, oop. 
Yeah. So we've discussed this before, right? Like, you know, my thoughts on the whole only gay actors can play uh, gay characters has been discussed. I don't remember the episode we discussed it on, but I know I've put my thoughts out there. However, I d- Jewface, I think, is maybe in the same ballpark as that, but it's strictly on looks instead of like a, well, I was going to say instead of an identity, but that's not really the same thing. because Hello, gay face, Trey. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think there's a spectrum. Like, I I definitely, oh God, a spectrum. Um, <laughs> I also thought Rachel Sennett was Jewish until I learned that she wasn't. And then when I learned that she was Italian, I was like, of course. Um, because there's this, like, very long-running joke that I am quite obsessed with about um, the covenant of Jews and Italians being the only ones allowed to play each other. And uh, the joke that, like, we're the only ones that can play each other authentically. And it's, like, something, there's just, like, enough shared appearance and enough shared like cultural whatever that like i just feel like we can play each other like we can get away with it um you know james Kahn played a lot of italians and right well robert Niro played a lot of jews i don't know if anyone's buying that but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah like anyway so that's i don't know not actually a thing but it is a thing um we play each other a lot and yeah so i thought that too i don't know i do think there's a spectrum like i think yes judaism is Depends who you ask or an ethno-religion, some people will say. So there are right. bloodlines, like there are actual Jewish bloodlines that come with certain appearances. There are certain cultural histories, you know, and the way we carry ourselves and the way we speak is a little bit different. We can identify each other, that sort of thing. But then, of course, like Judaism is also a religion that does not only exist. Like there are a lot of Jewish people of color that don't look like Rachel Sennett and Mm-hmm. What, and don't look like me. So who's the most, you know, Jewish appearing of the three of us, right? So, right. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know. So I, I do think there's it's a bit of a spectrum. I don't know what you ended up saying about non-queer actors playing queer roles. I don't know what uh, your contentions were there. But I think it's sort of like, it's about the authentic storytelling. It doesn't mean that only Jews can play Jews. And it doesn't mean that Jews have to play Jews. But it's also like, who is being seen? Who is representing this group? What do they look like? And um, I think there's a lot to that. Like when Jared Leto played a Jewish guy and had like a fake prosthetic nose. Like, don't know about that. You know, not my favorite. Not so great. But I think it was kind of like a comedy of errors. Uh, The movie where he plays that like CEO, is it a series? Is it We Crash? Yes. Oh my God. That's that's not even that long ago. (laughs) No, no. But like, I do think it was just like, look, that's what this guy looked like. But then you're also like, ooh, I don't know about that, everyone. Like, that's not or so good. Or we just cast a different actor. <laughs> yeah, like, maybe that's just, like, not the move. Maybe we don't put noses on people playing Jews. So that's the kind of thing where you're like, ooh, I don't know about that. That, I think, is on one end. And then the other side, you have, like, Rachel Sennett, who a big plot point in this movie is the Jewish beauty ideal compared to the, quote, Shiksa beauty ideal. Right. So I think that, like... Rachel Sennett is hot. Like, she's very obviously very hot. And she does kind of have a very similar body type to and hair, like, texture to a lot of Jewish women in that category. So I'm kind of like, Hmm. that's cool to me, personally. Like, I don't speak for everybody, but, like, that's where I'm like, okay, I think there's a big spectrum. It's kind of like, who's playing us? Who gets to play us? Like, you know... De Niro doesn't need to play all the tough Jews that have ever existed. Like, let one of us play one of the tough Jews. Like, for the love of God, everyone thinks that we look like Woody Allen, and it's not true. So I'm kind of like, you know, let, you know, Lee Schreiber play some more Jews. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's sort of like, so there is that. And I will always joke, like, I mean, I talked when I was like, oh, like Moon Knight. Couldn't get a Jewish guy to be Moon Knight. Like, that sucks. Like, it would have been right. way better if we did. And I hate that we didn't. But 
I'm also like, it's okay. It's not like, I don't know. I, I think there is like a spectrum and it's not as black yeah. and white as like Jews have to play Jews and only Jews can play Jews. I think it's like a little bit broader than that. Th- right. That's similar to how I feel about queer actors playing queer characters. But I also think, I mean, and not to say that Seligman like has like carte blanche. She's like, oh, she's Jewish. So she can make whatever decision she wants. But she also clearly already had this relationship with Sennett. Uh, she also, I mean, like, it's like, oh, it's her short film. And yeah, she wants to keep the same actress in the role. And I'm sure when she was making the short film, she wasn't like, oh, good. This is going to be like seen for millions of people in like in like this big box office movie or whatever. Yeah. Well, right. And Sennett also was like integral in pushing her to write the script. Right. And like they've been collaborators. So again, I don't know that that excuses things, but one of the things I was thinking of when you were speaking, Lindsay, was it comes down to a certain amount of intentionality and authenticity. And it's yeah. like Seligman is providing that. And so to me, it was less about, oh, does Rachel Sennett look Jewish as opposed to, oh, are we hitting the right beats? Are we doing it respectfully? Are we doing it in a way that feels authentic? Well, but also I, I would say, though, and to me, the casting of Diana Agron as uh, Kim in this movie is kind of key to that. It, it, I don't know if it's intentional commentary, but so everyone, Diana Agron, who plays the only non-Jew in this film, is Jewish in real life. And mm-hmm. Again, she doesn't look like what a quote unquote stereotypical Jewish person would look like or what the right. public's perception of stereotypical Jews looks like. And so I almost think it's kind of a, a commentary on the audience to be like, oh, like you you thought Senate was Jewish because she looked this way and you didn't think Agron was Jewish because she looks this way. But hey, psych, it's the opposite. Yeah. yeah. Flip them over and reverse it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I actually like said something in my review about that without knowing that uh, Dan Agron was Jewish. Like I mentioned the element that like – you know, she t- her instinct to like tear down this beauty ideal that Jewish women most of the time cannot achieve. Like, I do actually have a cousin that looks exactly like that, but like hmm. most of the time, it's not a very common look for a lot of Jewish women. And I like went in about that, and then someone was like, mm, "She's Jewish," and I was like, "Oh no, shit!" And then oh no, I noticed she was Jewish later and was like, "Oh, that's embarrassing," but I was like, "Ah, whatever." My point still stands. But then somebody else said. What somebody did say, and it was like, don't you think it's, like, anti-Semitic that you think that, like, Jewish women can't be pretty because they don't look like that? And I was like, that's oh, not geez. what I said. <laughs> that's not what I meant, but okay. Um, and then when I found out she was Jewish, I was like, oh, lol. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I think the point still stands that it's, like, it's an ideal that we don't tend to fit into. Right. <laughs> but, Yeah. And so I, I didn't get a ton of quotes about Stellion about like that aspect of it, but speaking on queer actors playing queer roles, um, she, so she discussed it saying it's a trickier issue for her because having spoken with actors who were not out but are queer, um, she said that for everyone on screen playing a queer character to be out and proud and talking about their sexuality, it's just a lot to ask of someone. And so, and hmm. I get that. I get that. Didn't that happen recently? Wasn't there someone? Oh my God. This is not maybe relevant, but there was a, a young actor recently who had like been getting a lot of queer baiting, queer whatever, and then they were like, "Yeah, like thanks, I'm queer. I just like I'm not out, but I guess I have to be out to make you all stop giving me shit about being a liar." And I was like, "Oh, ouchie, that's." Uh, it definitely happened to one of the guys on Heartstopper, Kit Connor, Ooh, and then yeah. I think Noah Schnapp. Maybe. The kid from Stranger Things. I don't think he was forced out, but it was definitely like people hounded him online to say, hey, your character, Will, is kind of queer. 
are you also queer? Yeah, he he said he wouldn't. He probably wouldn't have been able to come out without if that character wasn't queer because I think it may, may, maybe helped him realize things about himself. But that yes. kid from Heartstopper, um, I really appreciated him because he responded to people and was like, "Fuck you guys." He was I, mean, mad. He like, Fuck you guys. I think but- that's what I'm thinking of because it was something that I didn't know about, but I saw the response and I was like, "Oh, interesting point." Yeah, mm-hmm. very interesting point. Yeah, it happens quite often. It's actually one of the things that causes me a great deal of dismay about the queer community where yeah. when we get into these conversations about representation we feel like we are owed someone to disclose their sexuality and i like we're recording this on the eve of red white and royal blue coming out and both of the actors in that movie have not disclosed their sexuality and i have a feeling there's going to be all the speculation there's going to be all these people saying oh well you seem to have really good chemistry or oh i got like a queer thing what are you and it's like they're public figures, but we're not owed any kind of answers about what they do in private. Yeah, the the life experience thing is so it's such an interesting discussion, and again, that, that's a broad <laughs> subject. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I mean, like this is kind of all in the same ballpark to me. Is like uh, when people talk about, oh, if you're going to make a movie that features sexual assault, then like, oh, well, have you ever been sexually assaulted? Like, what? Like, right. why, why would you want to convey that? And it's like, well, should a person really have to go through everything? Yeah, well, go through everything, or even if they have. Be open about it publicly if they're going to make art about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a yeah, very good second annotation. I think, to me, going back to what we were saying about the, quote, Jew face of it all, is it's like, is it authentic and then who's being excluded? Like, if there were, like, mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. queer actors working and, you know, gay sure. actors were being told, like, ooh, you're too gay, you can't play this gay role or whatever, like, that... You know, that's what I mean about it, like being broader. And I won't speak for queer people as someone who's not queer. But um, I think that's kind of also what I was getting at here, too. I think they're kind of analogous in a way where there's not like one way to be those things or whatever. Mm -hmm. And in that it's like, is the story authentic? Is it working? Like if Rachel Sennett looked like, I don't know looked more like Dan Hagron's the worst example. <laughs> but if she Lawrence. looked like that and then was being like, I hate that I'm short and thick like most Jewish girls, you'd be like, what is going on here? Like, Or if there was like a, a story about her appearance and her appearance didn't align with the group that she was representing, you'd be like, mm, this right. is inauthentic, this isn't working. But I think that like, the, in my opinion, and again, this is just me, the movie is stacked with a lot of Jewish actors, yeah, obviously yeah. a Jewish writer-director. There's a lot of authenticity there. This is an actress who suits the sort of mold of the character that she's playing. Her appearance, as it matters to the plot, lines up, and it's not in a way that's, like, offensive. They didn't cast a woman with a big, giant hooked nose just to make her look Jewish. Like, <laughs> right. It, like, it Which works. we've done. Which Let's we've done. <laughs> Which we have done. So, like, it's... To me, I'm like, I think, again, it's about that, like, quote spectrum of, like, is it authentic? Who's making it? Who's making the decisions? Who's being excluded? Yeah. It comes up a lot. And I see the point because, again, I was the first person who was really disappointed about Moon Knight, which is just for whatever reason off the top of my head that I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. But there's very often times where I'm like, oh, how disappointing. Like, I'm so excited we're having a Jewish Superman. But anyway. Um, well, yeah. Like, <laughs> can't wait. Oh, it, wait. Not oh, going to shut up about it. I was going to say, is is oh, that's actually another example. It isn't Lois Lane Jewish, but Rachel Brosnahan isn't she Jewish. Is not. But she, she's not. And, and she was playing a Jewish woman on Mrs. Maisel for five years. Exactly. Yeah. And when I found out she wasn't Jewish, I was like, ugh, and like couldn't watch the show. But like, that's not me saying the show is bad. <laughs> I really like her. the show, but I, I, I understand. I was like, whatever tiny turned up nose lady. But um, that's not a fair <laughs> assessment of the series at all. Um, so I very much am like the first person to be like, oh, man. But sure. uh, this is not one that lit me ablaze. I, I think that I was kind of like, yeah. I get it. I think if nothing else, it's one of those things where we continue to be vigilant and sort of flag it. Like if it comes up 
too often, then it's like, hey, maybe we need to have a conversation with people who are doing casting or people who are looking for, quote unquote, certain types of people to fit certain types of roles. But at the same time, it's like, it's a sort of pick your battles. And also not everything has to be for you. So, you know, Lindsay, you watch Mrs. Maisel and you're like, meh, it doesn't do it for me because now I know and I can't, I just can't feed into the fantasy and that's your prerogative it yep. worked for people like trace and that's fine people yep. love it a lot of jews loved it so again this is not me like there you go <laughs> and then i think like by comparison like again why i don't know why i'm like obsessed with moon knight like there are like no <laughs> jews in the mcu like there's none like jake gyllenhaal is like the closest we got and he was in it for like 20 minutes like i mean actually that's not true i guess we have scarlett johansson that's maybe a completely unfair um assessment there's like you know scar joe and natalie portman whatever not a lot of Jews running wow. around the MCU. I was like, we finally get a Jewish character. It was very exciting, you know, and we didn't yes. get that. Yeah. We couldn't get him. So that's why. <laughs> yeah. No, that, Hard that not to get excited when there's a big, big role, too. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Oh, God. Well, Jeff Goldblum's so- in the MCU. Jesus Christ. Oh, Paul <laughs> Rudd. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Did you just Google, like, just Jews in the MCU? Just- <laughs> no, leave it in. I will. I will bear it. And Diana Agron was in this movie. Oh, oh wait, God. never mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say, I, I, I really like her in this movie, but also then until mm-hmm. we get to the actual plot. Sure. Okay, so going into more technical stuff. So Shiva Baby was filmed over 16 days in August of 2019 at an Airbnb in Brooklyn. <laughs> oh, boy. She, well, so Seligman chose the house because of its dark wood interior and stained glass windows, providing a, and I quote, a Yentl-like glow. after scouting the house she built a model of the first floor out of legos and used this to make her shot list wow Mm -hmm. some of the main struggles related to continuity particularly working with actors who were not always available at the same time the production had only two days when they had the entire principal six-person cast together at the same time the struggles of low-budget filmmaking (laughs) i can't Another struggle was the baby playing Rose, who would not stop crying. Uh, This was a learning experience for Seligman, as it forced her to rework some scenes to fit in a crying baby. (laughs) Really? I think that works so well in this movie. It does. It does. Uh, the opening scene uh, set before the Shiva at Max's apartment was filmed on the last day, which I do think kind of makes sense given the content of that scene. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Director of photography Maria Rush shot about half the film handheld, although um, they initially considered shooting the movie like a romantic comedy. The anxiety Ooh. hook was what they found set to set the tone for most of the process. So to capture the claustrophobia and anxiety of the film in a way that they wanted, they needed to have Danielle, uh, the uh, Rachel Sennett character, surrounded by people, but still allow the principal cast to play off of each other. So to achieve this, Rush decided to use an anamorphic lens so that multiple characters can remain in the shot together through a wider field of view, while still being distinguished from background characters thanks to the lens's depth. But they also wanted to utilize natural image distortion to emphasize Danielle's anxiety. So Rush said the effect of the Koa lenses helped make it feel like the walls could literally cave in on her and had a good balance of edge distortion without falling apart or losing too much sharpness at the edges. It's so effective. Wow. Yeah. Well, Joe, so this was your first time watching this. Like, mm-hmm. Oh. Th- did the point come across? Like, Did you feel anxious watching this movie? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I-, I don't know how you could watch this movie and walk away saying, oh, well, that was a fun comedy. Like, <laughs> it's very amusing, but also the design of the film is very purposeful in making you feel as anxious as Danielle. Yeah. 
But as excellent as the cinematography is, I, th- me, this is my opinion, what really adds to the film's anxiety-inducing elements is Ariel Marx's score, who pulled double duty performing the strings as well in the score. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, uh, Seligman wasn't sure if she even wanted to use a score for the film because she was aiming for realism, but she chose to do so to divert focus from background chatter and represent Danielle's emotions. Uh, She wanted to have strings to reflect klezmer music, um, klezmer music being an instrumental musical tradition of the Ashkenazis Jews of Central and Eastern Europe, without being overpowering. Uh, Marx also suggested adding the score to some scenes that it had not originally been intended in order to make them more stressful. And again, uh, y'all, if you just hear the score for this movie, it sounds like a horror movie score, like an A24 film. Uh, the producer submitted Shiva Baby to the Sundance Film Festival, and though they were given an extension on submission to work on post-production, it was not accepted by Sundance. <laughs> Ouch. Fumble the bag, Sundance. <laughs> it did get accepted to South by Southwest and was slated to premiere there in 2020, but as I already said, uh, that was canceled uh, literally a week before it was supposed to start because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, that would have been like March of 2020. Right. So instead, they screened it digitally in April of 2020. Um, it also screened it digitally at a variety of festivals in August and September of that year. But it had its first physical screening at TIFF in September of 2020. Hmm. Pandemic lockdowns gave Seligman the time to engage with audiences at many of these festivals, creating, in her words, if not a grassroots campaign, then a ground-up campaign. And that's how they were able to find the right audience for the film. Uh, they responded to their excitement and included them in their outreach. In September 2020, just before its TIFF run, Utopia acquired distribution rights to Shiva Baby. It was released in limited theaters and video on demand in Canada on March 26th of 2021 uh, by distributors Pacific Northwest Pictures, and in the U.S. on April 2nd, 2021, when movie theaters uh, finally reopened, (laughs) a year after lockdown happened. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, Shiva Baby was the most watched film on the streaming channel Mubi in 2021 by the start of August and ended the year still in the top spot. It had a record-breaking 16-week continuous run from April to July of 2021 at the Quad Cinema in New York. Nice. Critical response is overwhelmingly positive. We've got a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think this might be one of the best-reviewed movies we've ever covered. Probably, yeah. With an average score of 7.9 out of 10. It's got a 79 out of 100 on Metacritic. And Letterboxd users have given it a 7.8 out of 10. Hmm. Okay. Pretty but, good. um, yeah. That's, uh, that's Shiva Baby, y'all. <laughs> yes, it. as always, we're done. We're done. The end. <laughs> Nice chatting with you, fellas. Mm. <laughs> yep, no need to talk anything more about the film. No, not at all. Um, but Joe, I, I will confess, I don't envy you having to take notes on this plot because, like, it's just a lot. <laughs> and a first time watch, yeah. So yeah. I'm going to miss some of the character names, I think. I tried to put 
people's faces to their characters on IMDb. But yeah, I'm probably going to miss a couple of the older women that are gossiping because I, I was like, which one is Maureen and which one is uh, Catherine and blah, blah, blah. So I, I think I've got some of them, but I'm probably missing a few. I know Jackie Hoffman, who I feel yes. like is in everything I see nowadays. <laughs> so great. <laughs> it's because you you notice her and now you're seeing her in all these things. Yeah, well, I'm trying to think of the first thing I really noticed her in, but I don't know if y'all remember this. She's in an episode of The Other Two where she plays a body double for Chase, the the, the, yes. little, the, the younger brother. Oh, okay. <laughs> her name is Lorraine, and so every time like she pops up in something, my husband just goes, it's Lorraine! <laughs> wow. That is uh, not the cut that most people would know Jackie Hoffman from. No, but y'all will get it. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Okay, so we open the movie in a stationary long take as we watch Daniel, played by Rachel Sennett, having sex with Max, who is played by Danny DeFerrari, and she is doing this in exchange for money. So it looks like they're having reasonable sex. I <laughs> I did see a couple of people say this is overly enthusiastic and her orgasm sounds very fake. And I was like, oh, I thought she was just into it. But maybe. That's the joke. That's the that's on purpose. She's paid. <laughs> She's being like, you're the best. Wow, you're amazing. As a woman who speaks for all women, yes, please enlighten us on the art of the fake female No, am I wrong about that? Isn't it like she's paid? Literally, he's like finished and she's like, great, and gets up and collects the cash and puts her shirt on. Like, Mm -hmm. isn't that the bit? I mean, she doesn't seem to be having a bad time. It just seems like it ends and then we move on. Yeah, it's a business transaction. Yes. Thank you, Trace. (laughs) I know what sex work is. (laughs) Do you? (laughs) I have not personally... Let me walk that back. I can't say that I haven't engaged in sex work. Let's move on. Wait. (laughs) Stop the podcast. (laughs) Sexual favors for our favors. Okay. Yes, checking. Okay, moving on. A lot of follow-ups. I've got a barking dog situation, which is why I'm muted, but um, (laughs) let's change the tone here tonight, fellas. Let's get into that. that. I know. I'm trying to think, like, have I... I'm I'm sure I have traded sex for favors. I'm sure Mm -hmm. I have in my life in some shape, way, or form. But, so... Yeah, yeah, probably yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, would we call it as such? Probably not in the moment. We're not being as deliberate as Danielle is, right? Where she is very obviously saying, I'm going to have sex with you. I'm using this app. We both understand how this is going to work. Oh, does anyone know if this app is real? I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't know. Either. The Sugar Baby app? Uh, I'm willing to bet it's made up, but there's probably five or 10 or 20 million that are exactly like it in real life. Well, I, I'm just, I went to my Apple uh, app store and I just typed sugar and the, the top two, like, as in like, oh, like, are you wanting to type this in are sugar daddy and sugar daddy meat. There's also Ooh. sugar baby and sugar mama and sugar goo. <laughs> Ew. Hi. Okay. I don't want to know about that last one. <laughs> Yeah, is is this the point where we talk about how stupid I am that I didn't understand that the title of the movie is a literal reference to the baby that is brought to the Shiva, but also the fact that Shiva baby and sugar baby are plays on each other. Oh, the sugar baby thing didn't occur to me until like months after I saw it. The, uh, Joe, that didn't occur to me until you just said that right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it did, that did not hit for me at all. I had no idea. I just was like, oh, like, is it Shiva comma baby? Is she just like the baby of the Shivas? Is it like mm-hmm. a joke about her age? It wasn't just like way later that I put together the sugar baby thing. 
Because oh, it's man. very clever, right? It's a, it's a two-prong title. But yeah. yeah, I feel like one of them is very obvious and the other one, yeah, it comes to later. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So as she has been having sex for money, she gets a phone message from her mother. So she plays this and it's very much, where are you? Why aren't you coming to the funeral? Your dad is waiting. Your dad has lost his mind. He can't find his phone. He can't find his keys. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot. Mom is a lot in this movie. Oh, I'm sorry. Basic question about Shiva, and I probably should have looked this up beforehand. Because I know, so Shiva, like sitting Shiva, it's like a week long thing. So this is day one. But does everyone participate in this seven day thing, or is it just the family members that do it for seven days? Great question. So the family members are quote mourners. So like mourners are like defined like certain family members mm-hmm. do it for the whole week and then um you pray in the morning and in the evening so they actually show that in the movie they had a little prayer moment at the end yes mm-hmm. and you need a minion for the prayer so you need at least oh my god how many is it oh god i just said god oh god um i think it's <laughs> six or eight. Oh my oh no anyway you need a minion uh m-i-n-y-a-n if anyone wants to look that up which is a certain amount of men uh depending on your affiliation that have to be there for the prayer. So the idea is that it's a week where the family is designated at one of their mourners' homes and the family sits Shiva for the whole week. Right. And then people just like kind of come in and out. Like the idea is that it's an open thing where like people come mm. visit and they come and they swap stories and there's food the whole time. Someone deals with the food so that there's like always food and coffee and you just like come in and out and hang out, but you need a certain amount of people there in the morning and the evenings. So the idea is that people pop in for the prayer so you at least have people at that time. So you don't go to work when you're sitting Shiva? You don't. Okay. Hmm. Right. Yeah, you're not supposed to, like, work. You're not supposed to wear makeup. You're not supposed to look in mirrors. So, like, say, like, mirrors are covered. um, Things like that. Yeah, you're supposed to just, like, vibe. Be present, right? Yeah. This might be a personal question for you, Lindsay, but like, like, so do you and your family like do, do this full thing? Like, is this something that's more for like strict Orthodox Jews or do like, don't want to say more casual Jews? Yeah, no, <laughs> this? this is for everybody. Um, That's what I think, like, I really identify with this movie and it was funny like afterwards and this is, this will be funny to any of your Jewish listeners. When I told my mom I'd seen this movie, like 50 of my cousins were like, oh yeah, that's, what's his name's daughter's movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was like, God bless. <laughs> Um, just so excellent. Um, and, uh, I believe if I'm not mistaken, she's like very much from like the Toronto suburbs Jewish community. So like very much the same mm. community as me. So I, yeah. which I didn't know while watching it, but like 10 minutes into it, I was like, oh, this chick watched me like this chick right. lives in my neighborhood. <laughs> I feel seen. <laughs> yeah. I like looked behind me to be like, is she recording me? Um, so yeah, it's very, um, it's not just for Orthodox people. It's very common. Like this movie captures that really well, That it's just like very casual. Like I know, um, when my non-Jewish friends have had to come by shivas, they're always like, oh my God, what do I wear? What do I say? What's appropriate? And it's like, Girl, come in your jeans, come in whatever you're wearing from work. It's just about like hanging out and it's very like, it's very much about like the community being there for each other. Like Mm. you come in so that the idea is that there's just people there all the time, that the mourners aren't sitting there alone. It's like there's people around, you're being fed, we're chit chatting, we're, we're chilling on the couch. And like the first day right after the funeral is when it's like high time because everybody comes straight from the funeral. So that's like really, really crowded and intense like that. But it um, thins out a bit, except for like morning and evening for prayer time. But yeah, everybody does it. It's not just an Orthodox thing. It's very, uh, very common. Mm-hmm. So it's just such a very different experience, I think, from people who are 
Catholic or, yeah. you know, Muslim. And that, well, actually, it almost adds a little Muslim in certain ways, like the heavy emphasis on like day and evening prayer and that kind of stuff. But right. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, maybe just because I've always grown up with Shiva's like, my goodness, this movie mm-hmm. also spoke to me a lot because I very much am obsessed with like the comedy of Shiva's. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I um, definitely grew up around that. And like the idea of, um, you know, things that just seem foreign to you because you never grew up with them. Yeah, right. The idea of like going to a funeral and then like someone just like goes home after and is alone. I'm like, what a nightmare. Yeah. But then <laughs> also when I'm at a Shiva and it's like, and I'm a mourner, I'm like, get me out of here. Like I want to claw the skin <laughs> off my face. Everybody get out of the house. Like I can't handle this. I like can't breathe. Everyone's all over me. But then when they leave, you're like, I am so happy they were all here this whole time. Right. right. Yeah. You know, like it's just one of those things. So I, that's what I feel like this movie captures so well. It's like the community and it's loving and everybody loves each other and they're taking care of each other. But get me out of here. <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> I mean, how do you feel then about people like Trace and I where we say, oh, this movie is so anxiety ridden and it's like it feels so super claustrophobic and this kind of stuff. It's like, well, no, but it's also very much about community. If you're focusing only on the anxiety, you're missing the other half of why all those people are there, right? Yeah, I don't think that you're you're necessarily missing a piece of it. It's funny, like, I think anxiety in Jewish movies is obviously something I think about a lot. I had a good laugh after Uncut Gems because I thought it was so funny how everybody was just talking about how, like, that movie made them so anxious and they were so anxious mm-hmm. and everyone was so anxious as anxious they've ever been. And I was like, oh, okay, like, it seemed pretty chill to me. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, I was like, very comfortable <laughs> and thought it was, like, a really relaxing movie. Oh, my God. And then I posted something to that effect where I, like, posted, like, everyone else having this reaction, like, Jews and put, like, um, I posted something to that effect and a bunch of Jewish people mentioned me to be like, yeah, I actually found it, like, very calming. And I thought that was so funny that, like, I was like, oh, this is what our brains are like such that when we see that we're like oh he completed all his tasks by the end of the day so it was actually like a very successful relaxing movie (laughs) (laughs) that's how i feel about um but then watching this like yeah i don't think you're missing much but maybe like i i agree i think there's so much to say about about the community there like i really love the moment where they all stop to pray because it just shows you that like it is such an intense situation and it's so easy to get like caught up in yourself. Like there are mourners there, but like, do you even know which characters are the mourners? Like, no, no, um, they're <laughs> completely like irrelevant to the story. And so it is just this like really weird, big community event sometimes. But then if you think about it, like, that's really nice. Like all these kids from the block are here talking about school and what they're working on to these mourners that would otherwise be like alone with their thoughts, you know? So right, yeah. yeah, I think there's, I don't know. I don't feel like you're missing anything per se, but I also am happy to share with you that it is a lovely community event. There we go. Yeah. So I did want to highlight just because uh, as a first time watch, I got a lot of delight before we get to the Shiva, before we get introduced yeah. to Daniel's parents, I think that Max is such a hilarious asshole of a character in this movie. So when he gives her the money and then he pledges support to female entrepreneurs and calls her the future, it's just like, oh, oh, we hate this guy. This guy is trash. He's, oh, yeah. He is like a despicable character. (laughs) But like, he's not an out and out villain. He's just a guy who's committing infidelity, but he's also garbage. Well, uh, yes. I would also argue, though, he's stealing from his wife <laughs> well ooh, yes interesting i think he just like he just sucks like i know a million maxes do you know what i mean sure. like i've met mm. that guy i've been at the office with that guy with the rich hot wife who's still like what are you up to like i know that guy do you know what i mean mm-hmm. like to me i'm just like this guy 
But are they in a sugar daddy app where they're actively, like, fucking and giving money to women? Probably. <laughs> Probably. Like, I don't know their life, but probably. Trace, you listed five apps at a finger touch. Yeah, so, that's true. Yes, they Have absolutely been to are. the city before a commuter train bounces? Like, there's a million of this guy. BRB, <laughs> so making my sugar goo profile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Danielle's parents. Her father is Joel, played by Fred Malamed, and her mother is Debbie, played by the wonderful Polly Draper. I think that she is kind of the unheralded, or maybe she was recognized. It was hard to tell after the fact who got a lot of praise for this. Obviously, people singled out Senate, but mm -hmm. I really found Polly Draper to be the quiet hero of this movie. Outside of Senate's character, she gets, I think, some of the best, like, subtle emotional beats in the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love this character in ways that... Like, I, like, I'm about to give this away for free. Like, as soon as Shiva Baby has a resurgence, uh, you'll hear me about it somewhere. Mm -hmm. I love this character. The reason why I love her so much is that the Jewish mother has been portrayed very specifically. We have, like, think about um, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Oh, um, God, think yes. Think about <laughs> Difficult People. Mm -hmm. Oh, Andrew and Martin, yeah. The Jewish mother trope which exists those are just like two quick examples there's a million of them are those offensive examples for you so not necessarily offensive but i think there's a very specific version of the jewish mother like they're naggy they're nitpicky they're mm -hmm. critical what do you look like what are you eating where who's you know who are you dating what's your new job and in these movies it's very often portrayed as like incredibly negative and tearing their children down right. so like crazy Act girlfriend i mean i haven't watched all of the shows so it could just be the specific parts that i've seen but like you would no, think like she hates her yeah and like they're tearing her down <laughs> constantly but they are very critical and i remember i don't remember what show it was to be really honest with you but there was some jewish mother gag and i was watching it with my mom and i laughed and she winced and i was like oh, oh no, no. <laughs> and i had this moment of like oh no mom no i don't think that about you <laughs> and i think what i love so much about this character is that she's still naggy she's still nitpicky she's still mm -hmm. a pain but she's coming from a very loving place yeah right she even talks about like even when she's critical of her queerness she's still like look i'm open-minded i just want you to be happy which i think is just like an interesting like i don't know maybe that one's kind of homophobic but like <laughs> no, um, no, no, no i guess no. maybe that one's You're not fine. a good example we'll talk about but, that yeah well, but just like even when she talks about work with her she's not being dismissive of the work she does and she's not shitting on her or telling her she's never going to be successful she's just being like oh you actually like writing okay you want to be a writer great how can i help you with that so even though it manifests as this naggy yeah. being like can you get our job in publishing and blah blah, blah blah it manifests in this naggy critical weird way it's coming from a place of like love and wanting to help her daughter and i right. think that like that element struck me so much and i just love this character for that because she's still that quote trope but it's so much more positive and i don't know if that's i don't know i i love this character for that reason yeah, yeah. whereas <laughs> i think melamed has less to work with because he's not as yeah. much i mean but fred melamed is just like I, I feel like he always plays this type of character yeah <laughs> or, but he's or he the plays guy yeah. He's the guy. Like, he's the guy. Like, the idea, when he shows up as the dad, you're like, I know exactly what I'm about to watch. Uh-huh. I definitely thought it was Steven Tobolowski for a moment. <gasps> oh, my God. Yes. 
he oh god he like i i think a serious man is like when he came to prominence because yeah. like also another big like jewish movie right oh he, he played the dad in that um oh my god the the michaela watkins show casual on hulu <gasps> oh i love Ca- oh that's how i know him thank yeah. you trace Folks, Casual is such a good show. Great show. He's an asshole on that show, though. Oh, yeah. Everyone's an <laughs> asshole on that show. That's true. <laughs> um, so the fun thing about the relationship between Danielle and her parents, like, again, is a bit of an outsider to the culture. I love that she shows up and they almost have a group brainstorm. Like, everybody put your head in. What's the cover story? What is Danielle going to say about yeah. her future? Because we know everybody's going to talk about it. And fuck, there's Catherine, who is played by Glynis Bell, and her daughter Maya, played by Molly Gordon. And we both know that Maya is doing way better, quote unquote, right now. So we need to get a cover story ready. Um, I will say... So Molly Gordon's having quite a year this year because not only was she in like, you know, season two of The Bear playing the love interest of the lead character, she starred in, co-wrote and co-directed Theater Camp. Oh, and people really? are like going bonkers for that. I haven't it's seen really that, good. but yeah, people seem very excited about it. It's a, yeah, I, I, I caught it back at Sundance and it's really, really, really cute. Especially if you have a theater background, yes. it's that kind of thing where they mm-hmm. understand what these kinds of people are like. I think for some folks, it's going to be a little grating because the characters are big. But like, I know all of those characters. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, yeah, every character in this movie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I know Maya, you know? <laughs> 100%. There we go. <laughs> Okay, so we head inside, and yes, uh, immediately we are confronted with some older women who are gossiping. This includes Susan, played by the aforementioned Jackie Hoffman, and particularly because Danielle and Maya enter at the same time, it feels like they're often the subject of conversation. We don't understand that they have had a sexual relationship, so we think that it's more combative like okay everybody always compares us yes the rivals yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so they catch up at the buffet and maya makes it very clear that she knows danielle was not at the funeral like she lays out some traps and danielle promptly falls into them oh (laughs) the the exchange of like what's your favorite part (laughs) i'm not thrilled i'm grieving it's a funeral i know i'm sad too (laughs) god Trying to one-up each other on the grief spectrum. Obsessed. This is what I'm saying. No. (laughs) So great. Uh, The moment that I really like, because, yeah, as you said, Lindsay, one of the things that we come to expect from the Jewish mother is that they will always make comments about the weight and the appearance of their daughters, and particularly around issues of food. So it's fun is the wrong word but watching danielle try to figure out whether she actually is hungry and whether she wants to eat whatever is at this buffet like putting things onto the plate putting them off the plate (laughs) scooping things on scooping it off yes and everyone like i love the joke i will like yell in my mom's face every time she slips up (laughs) is where she's like what are you doing hanging out with all your friends and not eating (laughs) or whatever she says like there's some like joke about that like so what do you do all day just hang out with your friends and not eat or whatever but it's not her mother who says that Mm -hmm. um it makes me laugh so much because it's true like everybody (laughs) within like 10 minutes everyone's gonna tell you how fat you are and how skinny you are 
Right. But also, like, it is the only thing to talk about. Like, she is so worried about her cover story about school. But if you realize, like, it's her parents that are talking about school. Everybody else is talking about what she looks like. Mm-hmm. And that's why, though, because, I, I, I mean, look, Rachel Sennett is not a fat person. But she's no. also not, like, Diana Agron skinny. Because if we had someone that looked like Diana Agron in this role, then, like, the joke wouldn't land. But just, like, <laughs> the I, I feel like every five minutes we get a comment about her weight. Oh, yeah. But also, let's be clear, Diana Egron is very skinny. Like, yeah, she that's what I mean. Hollywood skinny, and Rachel Sennett is also skinny. She's massively, like, she's intensely petite, but it goes back to kind of what I was talking about, like, how appearance is so important to this role, but Sennett kind of has that build. Mm-hmm. Like, I know, not all Jewish women are built the same, but, like, I know a lot of Jewish women that have that exact body type, where, like, right. from one angle, you'd be like, oh my gosh, she's so skinny, she's not eating, my goodness. And then from another angle, like, you'd be like, oh, well, she doesn't look like Dan Agron. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it it works for that exact reason that she is that shape where, like, she's short, she's not massively long and lean, but she's still mm-hmm. incredibly, like, slender. Yeah, Do you right. know what I mean? And, like, and she's hot. Like, it's important that she's also very hot. But she looks – she's got a different body type than, like, that specific hot, if that makes any sense. I don't no, know. No, yeah, it does. Um, yeah. She's not maximum model hot, which right. is what Hollywood always tries to force feed us into believing, oh, this is obtainable. Most women should look like this. Right. And so, like, yeah, that's what, like, just works so well about her build is that she's, like, feels the need to look at Kim Beckett, who, my God, is so perfectly <laughs> named. <laughs> and, <laughs> and be, like – Ugh, she's vanilla. She's bland. She's boring. Who cares? <laughs> okay, I, I I like that character so. I I feel so bad for the Kim character. Oh my god! Oh, I, the again, Kim character I is the, the most Kim put character. upon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so things seem to be going okay. You know, Danielle is managing, but then Max walks into the shiva, uh-huh. and her parents immediately gravitate to him. So they're forced to awkwardly invent a lie about how they know each other. She also keeps getting caught up in other lies, such as she has a babysitting gig. Just one, like a singular babysitting gig. <laughs> With no schedule. <laughs> With no schedule. That he's no one understands. The, he's the baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and again, like we, the, the score keeps kicking in because I mean, because like, Joe, did you know like the general plot of this movie before you started watching it? Like, did you know this was going to be a thing? I knew that it was set at a shiva and that she I didn't realize that she had a bunch of lies and different things that she was trying to protect. I thought it was just she goes in and people keep I was going to say harassing, but I thought that it was that she goes in and she has to deal with very intrusive family members that she doesn't want to deal with. And I thought that's where the anxiety comes from. And it does. It does. On top of this, like, oh, her sugar daddy is here with his wife and baby. (laughs) And this is when, yeah, like, like the score will really start kicking in here. And then we have just a lot of these scenes that we'll go through moving forward is just like, Rachel Sennett in the middle <laughs> as we just hear all this chatter and the score building and building and building as we almost get like a, a bunch of slow zooms into Sennett's face. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And she's always being crowded by people. So it emphasizes how small she looks um, and how frazzled. Like, I think even her body language is such that she often looks like she's looking down or she just kind of looks like she's being consumed by everyone else at the Shiva. Yeah. She's always looking for an out. Like, she's always, yeah. again, like, not to keep being like, this is just like me. But um, <laughs> that feeling of, like, she's looking side to side for, like, any 
anyone to save her and anything yes. else to do. Like, she's like, yeah, I'll clean up this puke so oh. that I can move from this location. Like, I want to be out of here. She takes a long time in the bathroom because she, yeah, she's messing she around with her phone or whatever. But she's like, I need a break. I feel like it's a lot of that. You really sense and feel that her eyes are shifting side to side, not because she can't focus. Whatever. It's that she's just like looking for an exit strategy from oh, yeah. this particular moment. And there is no exit. No. That's the thing. Yeah. Is like, there's a part later where it's like she keeps she she's leaving, leaving. The, literally every like five seconds, like someone comes across and is like, oh, hey, like let's catch up. And you're like. I feel so, like, bad for her because I'm just like, oh, my God, like, girl, get out, get out, get out. <laughs> the part that my parents, like, my parents watched it after me and I would, like, report back and they had, like, a few things they pointed out. But the one thing that they came to me was like, and you can never leave. You try to leave and everybody needs to say goodbye to you for, like, an hour. Like, you plan to leave an hour before you have to leave because you right. got to be like, gonna we're going to head going. I'm going to go upstairs, say goodbye to Zadie. I'm going to pop in and say hello to Auntie Shirley. I'm going to pop by Cousin Ruthie and then we'll get out of here. Like, it's just you're oh, doing boy. a lap you have to do a lap to get out <laughs> see to to fall on the sort of another cultural stereotype this is why i am the king of irish goodbyes mm. i don't tell anybody shit you're looking for me i've been gone an hour I've been gone an hour you oh my god <laughs> that's rude <laughs> no it isn't because you know what i know all of you i will talk to you later i'll see you at brunch tomorrow we've got that movie date next week i don't need to say goodbye you're plastered you're not gonna miss me i'm out of here not your choice come to shiva you're not getting out of there for an hour it's like the no. remember at the gap used to be like how long can you go before an employee says hi to you oh remember that game like good seconds. luck good luck <laughs> getting out of a shiva without someone stopping you good luck i love it yeah, so so Daniel is mostly holding her own, apart from the fact that she cannot keep her cover story together at all. I do love all of the debate about what her major is. So, you know, she gets oh, very yeah. upset when people try to say, oh, you're in gender studies or you're a feminist. What are you going to do for a job with that? <laughs> like, it's not a career, it's a lens <laughs> <I love that. laughs> through which to see my career. <laughs> It's funny because I feel like anybody who actually went through an arts degree has had to have these kinds of conversations. So uh -huh. even though the movie is so Jewish in a lot of ways, the movie is also speaking to millennials who were struggling with like, how do I talk about the job that my parents didn't want me to get a degree in? And, oh, you know, I'm having difficulty communicating with my friends because we made out that one point and then now we don't text each other like there's just a lot of really relatable stuff embedded within a very predominantly I mean, jewish text hello joe when you tell people when Salem's like hey what do you do oh i'm a podcaster oh god <laughs> how embarrassing how cringe what a nightmare um <laughs> yeah you and everybody else huh? i i i i get like on the defense immediately I'm like oh well you know like, i have a day job but actually my real job is podcasting and i actually i have to defend it. like i actually make like more money podcasting than i do for my day job but it's like blah blah blah, blah. And it's like uh i just wish mm -hmm. i could just say podcaster and be fine with it <laughs> yeah i know just i know it. why are we like that even when i say when people are like oh you write about movies i'm like yes and they're mm -hmm. like oh and you're like no like, oh, my son loves movies. Like, oh, that, that must be so cute. <laughs> That's great. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I love that you say that, Joe, because when I saw this movie again, one of the things my mom said was like, who is this movie for? It's for Toronto Jews. And I was like, I know, right? It's so specific. And was like, and I, we both were like, who is going to like this movie except for us and like, you know, all people in my like third cousins. And then to see everybody 
wrap themselves around it so much. I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And Joe, exactly what you said. People were like, it's the millennial experience of jobs and yeah. parental stress and kind of the failure to launch and mm-hmm. thinly veiling your queerness in certain ways and your relationships. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, duh. It's a very universal experience. It's just the setting happens to be very Jewish, but the experience right. is, is very universal. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, the other target audience for this movie is people who like Darren Aronofsky's mother. Oh yeah. my god, how <laughs> dare you? How also, dare like, you? It's an apt comparison, and I'm angry about it. But that's the Christian version of this movie. Yes. Aronofsky, oh, don't, I can't, I'm, I'm going to get upset. I don't want to talk about it. I'm just saying, it's a double bill and you tank your anxiety meds in between films. God. Yeah. (laughs) Gag. Oh, God. Yep. All right. Well, why don't we introduce the Shiksa princess herself? So as Danielle is standing there eating her bagel and Lux, she overhears Max talking about his new baby, Rose, who she clearly did not know existed. Okay. And then in through the door walks his wife, Kim, played by Diana Agron. She didn't know he was married, and that was a big bombshell for her. And then she finds out he's got an 18-month-old baby. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was interesting because I was trying to figure out whether he's a regular client of hers. Because initially, I didn't really pick up so much on the sex work, you know. Right. When we get the messages on her phone later on, it definitely clicked. But at the time, I just thought she was having an affair with this guy. I didn't realize anything more was going on. Yeah. I mean, I saw the money, but I also thought that he was kind of just being a, a generous sugar daddy. That's what I thought, too, honestly. I I got a similar vibe, too. Like, I kind of thought it was, yeah, it was kind of vague. I do agree. But I do think that the implications are like where she keeps saying she's the one babysitting job with a random schedule mm-hmm. that and, and that's like yes. in that moment it's him weaponizing like oh you're only seeing me like yes. you're acting like you're out here as a sex worker but you're only seeing me and then he even throws in that dig of like you must really you might be saving this for later but he throws in that dig of like oh you must really love that kid mm-hmm. yeah like you love me and it's like gross but you know yeah. But also she can't stop fucking looking at him to the point that even her mother picks up on it and warns her, don't go there. Okay, but that's the thing, though. I'm kind of like, girl, like, if you're going to be a sex worker, you can't, uh, fucking pretty woman rules. Like, don't kiss in the mouth. Like, don't get personally involved. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, pretty woman rules. (laughs) Pretty woman rules. Jesus. I think... I don't know. I Well, again, I I don't want to skip ahead too much, so stop me if I am. No, you're fine. Go for it. I think what I... Yeah, it's supposed to be implied that, like, she's only seeing him. She must really like him. And then there's kind of the... But she's also getting messages on the app, so she mm-hmm. might be maybe seeing other people unless the implication is that those are from him. I don't know. Right. But I kind of read that as, like, so much of the movie is her struggling with, do I need to reconcile that I'm going to go to law school like Molly... Or, sorry, like Maya, and, like, do I need to be this Jewish woman ideal, or am mm-hmm. I not? I'm different. I'm this, I'm that. Right. And I think he represents that because... He is the Jewish ideal. He's the guy with the job and the baby in the house and he goes to shul and he's the guy that like, if he was around, like you even hear the women saying like, oh, you know, a perfect Jewish man like him and he had to date a shiksa. Like mm-hmm. he yeah. could have had anybody he wanted and like they're all like hellishing or forgive me uh, for him. Like they all love him because uh, right. he's perfect. And she's kind of in that way, like she's got the quote perfect Jewish guy and yep. then, she, but it's not real. It's mm-hmm. pretend she's just, you know, it's it's a job. And so there's that struggle. 
And then also she's seeing this perfect Jewish ideal that everyone else is going, he is so perfect. Kim is the luckiest woman alive. He's so perfect. And she's like, ew, he's some like gross trash dude who's cheating on his wife with this young baby. Like he's got the most beautiful, and successful wife it. in the world. And he's mm-hmm. doing this like he's so nasty. And so there's that like struggle of like, it's, I don't know. I really see it as like, she's the ideal, but she's not. And he's the ideal, but he's not. And like, what right. really is the ideal if she's supposedly not, but then she's actually like the good girl and like a nice relationship with Maya mm-hmm. compared to like this guy who's like the perfect guy with a corporate job and the wife and the baby. But like, actually he's kind of shitty and mean and a liar and all this. So I don't know. And yeah. I think at least on a first time watcher, I think part of the fun quote unquote of watching this is trying to figure out how she feels about this because yeah. when she sees it, it's like okay well it didn't did she feel betrayed by him or does she feel bad for kim and this baby and then mm-hmm. she gets more and more immature as it's like oh no because then she starts trying to make kim jealous and it's like oh my god girl yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's complex she's right like young i and think confused. if yeah. you read interviews with senate and seligman they both talk about how they really wanted to make a complicated, messy, bisexual Jewish woman yeah. the main character of this film. And I think they succeed admirably in that. Like, as you said, Lindsay, you know, there's there's this ideal kind of veneer around Max as well as Kim. But most people are probably closer to Danielle, where they're just trying to figure their shit out and they have not got it together. Yeah. And- I do want to say, too, like, while Danielle can be a frustrating character, I never once find her unlikable, and I'm always yes. rooting for her, even when she's at her kind of, like, most most always. unlikable. Totally. We question her decisions, but we always want her to come out on top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, uh, just in case you thought, they're not talking about anything horrific. When are the bodies going to start to drop or something like that? <laughs> Let me direct your attention to the moment when she gets impaled by a nail in the leg, (laughs) and then she goes in, she makes some, in my opinion, ill-conceived decisions to take a topless picture and send it to Max, and then she forgets her phone unlocked, (laughs) but also there is a literal jump scare when she comes out of the bathroom Mm -hmm. from a guy who needs to poop. (laughs) (laughs) That is the genius of this movie. <laughs> Another Shiva's table is the guy who needs to poop. There's two, because yeah, he's like, oh, is there a fan or open window? But then later we find that the toilet's been clogged. Is it, I don't, is it from the same guy? I don't it know. Has to be. But the whole place smells like shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who knows? There's a lot of bagels and cream cheese floating around and a lot of lactose intolerant people there. Ooh, that is true. Blaze. There are I just delays. love a poop joke so much, especially <laughs> when it's delivered like this, right? It's unexpected. It's out of the blue. And it's not gross because it's not like he says, oh, I need to shit. He just says, yeah, you know, is there a fan or a window in there? And we all know what he's know. talking about. I don't know. Like, we're super, as a people, we're very cavalier about our poops. Um, like, it just is, it's just, you know, it's not. we'll talk about it. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, it's just a very, I mean... Everybody poops. Everybody poops. Everybody poops. So it's also, like, funny because 
you kind of are like, oh, my God, how how embarrassing. But, like, that's not embarrassing. Like, I'm like, Mm-mm. yeah, there's a fan. Like, I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know if it's working. Like, it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> And we all, but also because we have, you know, a lot of moments, too, where uh, Danielle is, like, kind of staring at Max from across the way. And there's – we get yeah. music stingers when he looks up and their eyes meet. And, again, it feels like a horror movie thing where it's like, oh, my God, the killer sees me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. Another good moment of horror is when Danielle gets trapped in this conversation between Catherine and Maya. Uh, and they're just talking about, okay, what are you going to do with your job in women's studies or gender studies? Mm-hmm. And she just starts downing the wine more and more aggressively. And whenever I see characters start compulsively drinking, yeah. I really get worried because you know that they're going to make an ass of themselves or that they're going to spill or something awful is on the horizon. Yeah. Do you speak from personal experience? Uh, I mean... I've been to a couple of parties. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make it known. Whenever I'm with Joe and I'm like, let's take a shot. He's like, no, no. I don't do that. <laughs> no, hey. I, I have too many of those stories. <laughs> I've clutched to many a glass of wine, you know, as a yeah. lifeline. And you're like, this will save me. But like, no, it won't. No. Especially if you just start pounding them back, right? Because then you're not even paying attention. You're like, I'm so anxious, but I'm just, oh shit, how many of these have I drunk? Yeah, wine can't save you. This movie does the rare thing of making wine look unappetizing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's it like the fingerprinty so glass. It's hot. Yes. Like, yes, that's so that's such a good point. Is that it's hot, Joe. You're so right. But I also feel like the fingerprinty glass and it's being like clutched mm-hmm. from the outside. Like Well, and Senate looks like she's about to shatter this yes. glass. She is yes. holding it so tight. And meanwhile, yeah, you're right, Trace. She is staring at Max. He is meeting her gaze, but Maya is also picking up on this, mistaking it, thinking she's looking at him because lo and behold these are bisexuals they have a history maya is jealous of her which is why when daniel goes in to clean up the baby vomit maya agrees to accompany her and then of course we get physical comedy in this movie where both of their mothers misinterpret their body language and think that they're maybe fucking (laughs) yes well and also because even for maya because maya isn't like uh, she doesn't get as much like development as Senna does. I obviously, wish we got bit, a bit more of Maya. I agree, and she's not. She's a character that was not in the short. She was invented for this film. Oh, but mm. it's also it's not just a oh you want this other girl you want this Shiksa girl, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, because that is a big deal, isn't it, Lindsay? Like. Like a lot of marginalized communities, uh, do we even say Jewish people? Yes, um, like a lot of marginalized. <laughs> this is one of those things. Trace Trace caught me recently on a Patreon episode where I was like, "The Greeks, people of color," and he was like, "Um, I'm gonna have to fact check that." But <laughs> I did. <laughs> yes, but basically, what I'm group. saying is that we like to keep things within communities, right? And particularly, I feel like that's a prominent Jewish narrative where. You're supposed to marry a nice Jewish boy or girl, right? Yeah. I mean, there's certainly the gag of like the nice Jewish boy, nice Jewish girl. A lot of people's parents insist that they must marry you. I get right. asked that a lot. Like, who would your parents insist you marry a Jewish person and that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And like, that's kind of part of it. Like all of them being like, oh, what a shame you could have. I don't know if they say what a shame, but all the women being like, he can have any Jewish woman he wants and he marries a shiksa. Like, oh, God, right. you know. There is that element. I don't think it's as prominent as it once was, but like certainly like, I mean, I think for a lot of marginalized groups, it's very like, you know, we're small, we're a small group. There aren't that many of us. So we have to make Mm -hmm. more of us. Mm -hmm. And I think there's also that piece. And then, you know, 
And people ask me, like, what are my thoughts? And I'm like, well, it'll just be easier if I don't have to, like, explain Rosh Hashanah to somebody. And if I didn't have to, like, say, sorry, I can't come to Christmas. I'm going to Hanukkah. Like, I'd rather not deal with that. But, like, sure, you know, I, I don't think – I don't know. I don't. It sort of depends. But, yeah, there's <laughs> definitely that, that like, oh, God, what a shame. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I laugh, like – my my brother's married to um a quote Shiksa who is like very much that looks like Dana Agron and um oh, okay. uh like her name is the same like syllables and uh like her <laughs> name is very similar to Kim Beckett. And so when we saw that we were both just like I watched it with her to be like L O L like that's you, girl. That's you. You're that's the blonde your representation yeah, you're on the, the screen. <laughs> you're the sunshiny blonde oh who walks into the show and everybody's like, Who's that? What is she doing here? You're Malibu Barbie. <laughs> yeah, we're just like she can't possibly be. Um and uh anyway, so yeah, there's a piece of that, kind of like the, the Shik's Appeal. There's also an old Seinfeld episode about Shik's Appeal, um, oh. which, which might be some interesting further reading. All right. Yeah. So what do we think about the fact that Danielle uses the opportunity when Maya sort of presses her, you know, why are you so interested in blah, blah, blah. Danielle uses this as an opportunity to tear Kim down, even though we learn that she's a very successful entrepreneur. She's got three businesses. I really like that beat. I've kind yeah. of touched on it a lot, like the beauty ideal piece. Like mm -hmm. Rachel Sennett could be the hottest version of herself that's ever existed. And she is like, like we've said this a million times already. Rachel mm -hmm. Sennett is massively hot, <laughs> um, but she'll never look like Dana Agron. And of course, Rachel Sennett is not Jewish, but there are a lot of like stunning Jewish women who will just never look like Dana Agron, no matter what they do. I mean, you know, yes, there are Scarlett Johansson's out there, so don't get me wrong. It <laughs> isn't impossible. But the, you know, sort of typical appearance that you associate it, it's an ideal that, like, we can't possibly have. So it's very easy to sort of turn that, you know, the white, Eurocentric, blonde, blah, blah, blah. It's sure. very easy to turn the fawning of that beauty ideal into like, nah, who cares? That's what everybody looks like. I guess if you're interested in the same carbon copy, right. boring, whatever, it's very easy to go there. So I really love that conversation because I actually think even though it's pretty like glib and short, I think it's a really interesting conversation about a woman who knows she can never meet a certain beauty ideal and then tearing down another woman. And then mm -hmm. Maya calls her like, well, that's not very feminist of you. And it's like, right. oh. wait. And then it's like, wait, who's being hurt here? Women, white women, like, wait, hold on. And I love it. It's just like a it's two so girls much. being bitches to each other conversation. And it's actually like really layered and complicated. And yeah. And, and that line of dialogue she gives is you're projecting a lot of misogyny for a future women's march organizer. <laughs> yeah, It's got so a great funny. comedic joke to it too, right? I will say this very though. Funny. like, I guess because I still view Diana Agron is like teenager Quinn Fabray on Glee. And th she's 37 years old and she looks yeah. amazing. <laughs> she was old on Glee old. I'm using yeah, scare yeah. quotes like older now. Than she, she, played, yeah. she was one of the older cast members, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, I, I just really like her. If you actually read it cause like about her, like she's very selective about the project she picks now um, mm. because she wants – she looks for things with different angles and she was very excited to get this movie because it was her first like movie from like a Jewish perspective about Jewish people. Yeah, right. I think I saw that, which I love, especially from the perspective – like knowing who she's playing and then that being her perspective is so interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and I love the way she plays it. Like she's super sunny and sunshiny and it's so like, even when she's mad, she's sunny, which is like, so the version that like Jews aren't like when we're mad, we're really mad. Like Danielle looks mad for a lot of this movie where mm -hmm. uh, Kim never does. She like 
behind her eyes, she's kind of like, oh, how do you two know each other? With, like, the yeah. most sunshiny tone. Like, she's so perfect. And her cadence, where she's like, I'm Kim Beckett. Like, almost like... Um, Sing-songy. Uh, yeah, she's sing-songy. And then, yeah, she almost, like, just, like, a cadence. Like, it's, like, a 1% accent of just, mm-hmm. like, I might be British. I don't know. Like, just a little <laughs> bit. I love that. When do y'all think she figures it out? Quickly. I think... The bracelet. You think it, oh, so you think it's like this next scene with the bracelet? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a pretty telltale sign. We're given every indication that the bracelet is not super common because it is so high end, which to me seems like a huge mistake on Max's part. Like, what the fuck are you doing giving your mistress the exact same bracelet? Yeah. It's like these women are not interchangeable. Have you met straight I, men? I mean, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are like you familiar? <laughs> walking penises? Yes. Yeah. Like, but, but th- th- this moment, though, where she notices the bracelet, and like I, mean, I have in my notes all caps, then Kim notices the bracelet because she has the same one. Oh, my God. It's a new collection, so she couldn't have gotten it in high school. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that Daniel's parents zero in on how much it costs. Like, wait, are we paying for that? Because, of course, she's trying to spin the lie. <laughs> yes. Just like the way all of this just builds into an eventual crescendo is so masterfully done. <laughs> yeah. I think she knows really quickly. And I think there's also the implication that like, this is not the first. Yeah. This won't be the last, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Like she knows what she's in and she's kind of like, oh God, this shit again. How humiliating. That's yeah. what that, that's the impression I got as well. Like, because. Yeah. She's not presenting upset enough for how you would think someone would react to the situation. But she's yeah, like, a girl we're going to have a conversation about this at home later because this is the fifth time. Yeah. Well, I also love, I mean, this is again the very end, but whenever like they walk outside and she just goes, Jesus Christ. And I was like, I love that hmm. the Gentile and the one is like just yelling Jesus Christ at the ship. <laughs> <laughs> she waited until they got outside, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> So, Trace, you talked about how this crescendos, it really builds and builds and builds. And that's also because uh, Max has apparently gotten within cell reception area of Danielle's phone because he just starts getting all of these messages on his. And of course, uh, this is when we get the near collision where he ends up spilling coffee all over Danielle, but also his baby. Yeah, this crying fucking baby. (laughs) Yeah, the baby's been crying the whole time since it came in the house. (laughs) So this is actually when I think we get the best scene between Danielle and Debbie. So mother takes daughter Mm -hmm. aside so that we can use... I I put communal water, but I don't think that's right, Lindsay. I looked this up, actually... (laughs) But go ahead, Lindsay. <laughs> no, I want to hear what you found. It's something about how you're supposed to, like, wipe, clean your hands when you walk into the house where the shiva's being held, right? That's right. Yeah. So there's these, like, oh, my gosh, shivas are a whole thing. But, yeah, there's, um, you're supposed to, yeah, wash your hands. But it's usually just, like, you splash a little bit of water on your hands on the way in is usually what people do. So there's just, like, a bin with, like, a cup and paper towel outside the house, usually. But has it been blessed by a rabbi in the same way that we would expect in Catholicism? Or is it just water? No, I don't think so. I'm quite confident it's just water. Um, Okay. Yeah. And there's like, there's, I don't know, there's like a lot of Shiva stables. There's like Shiva companies and uh, they'll like rock up with like, (laughs) they've got the like, they've got all the gear that you need. And one of them is these like 
you'll see them either some these people have plastic bins and then they like sit on this like fold out cardboard thing that's got like a paper towel roll in it like they're ready to rock um yeah you're supposed to rinse off your hands um i'm actually you're sure. blowing my mind with this like of course yeah. there would be shiva companies because people are dying all the time but it's just like <laughs> I never would have thought that would be a thing. Oh, it's a thing. There's like gear that you get like at the, like you're leaving the funeral and they're like, okay, here's your uh, ribbon and here's your matches and here's your mirror spray and here and you're like, yep, yeah, yeah, like throw it in the bag. Let's go. Like all your gear wow. that you need for the Shiva. Shiva coffee is like a staple. It's also why I love it's the coffee that there's like urns of coffee being filled up. One of the well, maybe this is just me, a personal experience, but um, one of the things about when you're the one like living at the Shiva is you're so used to this like constant flow of coffee oh. that like when it's gone, you're like, where's the Where's coffee? the coffee? Urn. It's here all the time. That was here 24 seven for the past seven days. Like That's why everyone's shitting at these Shivas. I was gonna That's say. why everybody's shitting. I was, <laughs> so when the coffee the gets filled on her, I was like, of course he has Shiva coffee. Like, of course he does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So the scene between Debbie and Danielle is actually really, really tender. You know, Danielle, at times she's infantilized by her parents, but I think that's partially how they show love, right? Like Mm -hmm. they want to protect her. They give her money. Importantly enough, Debbie in a later scene will say, well, you know, you could always just move back in. Oh, (laughs) so. (laughs) No! No! (laughs) (laughs) I mean, relatable content for nearly anybody who's ever had to deal with a parent potentially (laughs) saying that. But I do, I love this really tender moment between the two of them. But I wonder, did the two of you get the impression that Debbie misconstrues why Daniel is upset and thinks that she's pregnant? Yeah, 100%. Okay. Oh, no. Oh, okay. But maybe, like, now that you're saying that, I'm like, oh, shit, okay. Because I also didn't pick up on the, like, sugar baby stuff right away either. So, Hmm. yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. That's probably what it was. Um, yeah, no, I didn't pick up on that. But there, there's something so cathartic when Danielle's like, are you disappointed in me? Like, oh my God. Yeah. So relatable, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, it really drives home, like, even by that point, you're already there. But it, again, drives home that, like, her mother's like, what? Why, how could you think that? Like, just because I nag you all the time, you know? Right. And it just drives home <laughs> that, like, just because she's like naggy and annoying she's still just like what do you mean i love you you're perfect like i don't know i love mm-hmm. that moment it's so sweet yeah the two of them have great chemistry which doesn't hurt uh-huh. yes very true okay so we've got some shit max to deal with because uh he introduces himself to maya <laughs> it, it's funny right because Everyone keeps talking about how Maya and Danielle look sort of similar. So Max ends up suggesting, hey, are you two sisters? Are you related in some way? And then when he finds out that they went to prom together, he speculates about all the trouble they got up to. And I feel like Maya clocks how douchey he is because she plays into it. I mean, I don't think she's faking when she talks about giving Danielle her first orgasm. But she also didn't have to be that candid. Yeah, I think it's very much just like, oh, yeah, you like this bitch? Like, yeah. She's also, re- I mean, she's like, and we like fucked. It's like very loud in this room. <laughs> very loud. <laughs> yeah. I also think she's maybe putting together their situation and she's a yes. little jealous. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I definitely like, think Oh, so. you think you did shit? Well, I was there first. Mm-hmm. There's so much eye acting in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> On top yes. of like the constant talking, there's still so much being said behind people's eyes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So this is when Max basically finds out because, you know, we flash back to the beginning. We don't literally flash back. I flash back to the beginning when, oh, right. OK, there was the transactional sex. But also Danielle has kind of been peddling that she is a female entrepreneur and that she is maybe getting her law degree and so on. And clearly that's what Max thought he was giving her money for. So when he finds out that she's also been getting money from her parents and he found out earlier that she doesn't pay a lot of bills, he gets a little lippy, right? Which, so, I'm, dude, you're a client. <laughs> like, okay. back off. You don't get ownership over her in yeah. this way. But this is some, like, nice guy-ass bullshit, though. Mm-hmm. Like, nice guy with a capital N and a capital G, because... Nice guys are all about like, oh, what I'm doing is me cheating on my wife is heroic. Like it goes back to that um, right. bit about, you know, him being like, I'm supporting female entrepreneurs. And we're all like, yeah, <laughs> like, that's him being like, oh, I know that you think that what I'm doing is going behind my wife's back and whatever. But what I'm actually doing is supporting mm-hmm. young female entrepreneurs and I believe in sex work because I'm a feminist and I'm like, bro. Right. All of that. But don't we think she he's doing this anyway because he feels emasculated by the fact that yeah. his wife is the breadwinner of the house? Oh, yeah. It's definitely, like, there's too. definitely yeah. a big part of that. Yeah. yeah. Well, because even there's a moment later where Kim admits, oh, and we're trying for a second child. You know, that's part of the reason why we had to move and all these other things. And I mean, some of this is power play action, right? Mm -hmm. They could actually be trying, but the fact that Kim chooses when to say that is important. But you very much do get the feeling that Max is probably feeling trapped by this, right? It's one of the reasons he's acting out because he wants power. He wants to own a woman by giving her money for sex. Mm -hmm. But also, I never got the impression he liked baby number one. So the idea of having a second baby in the mix, not good. Yeah. Also, yeah. we just couldn't give up the Soho apartment. I mean, the location is so good. <laughs> like, yeah, same. I know. Prime I douche. totally get it. I totally get it. That was that was Kim. Like, I mean, I do believe that they were quote unquote trying, but that was Kim putting her stink on her man. That was her being like, I mm. know what's going on here, right. but he's mine. He will come home with me. And we will be having a second baby. You will always be his side piece. Like, that's what yes. Kim was really trying to drive home. Like, you are his trash side piece, nobody, and I'm his wife, and we're going to have another baby. So, like, yeah. I know it's not the point, but I actually, especially given how the film ends, but I really do wish there could have been a heart-to-heart between Danielle and Kim where she's like, look, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. It's not that kind of movie. No, no, no it's not. It, it, cause, I mean, yeah, it's not the point. But it's just a thing where I'm like, ah, like it's it's kind of a misunderstanding, but it's not a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. But it's like Danielle wasn't like willingly doing this to Kim because she had no fucking clue about any of this. But yeah, but it's kind of like the oldest story in the book that the, the other woman, the other. Yeah. Like you blame the other woman because you don't want to end your relationship that you sure. have. So it right. has to be her fault. It can't be his fault because then my marriage isn't tenable. And like. This mm. version of Kim's life is some version of what she wants because she wants the husband in the house and the Soho apartment and the two kids. Yep. Presumably, we don't know a ton about her, but it's easier to blame the other person as the vixen who stole him away than to blame mm-hmm. the person that you share a bed with and admit that, like, right. they might have sure. been lying to you or whatever. Yeah. So, what do we make of? Because. 
Danielle is such a fascinating character, right? Like this <laughs> moment that. after Max tries to engage her and Maya and he's, you know, being a grosso because, of course, two women together. Rah, hot, mm. sexy. <laughs> but it is immediately followed with him more or less making eye contact with Danielle and then going upstairs and she follows him and then she starts to give him head until she spots the wedding ring. Is this a moment of maturity and growth? Or is this, as you said, Trace, you know, Daniel realizing, oh, I didn't realize he was married and had a kid and now I can't go through with this anymore. shit. I feel stupid. I didn't notice that she clocked the wedding ring. I thought that he was doing this to tease her and then stopped the blowjob intentionally to fuck with her. I thought it was both, to be honest. I read both both of those into it. I think it could be both or either or because I I also read both of those into it. That he was kind of being a douche in that moment, too. Because she seems disappointed when he leaves, and it's like, is she disappointed because she can't go through with it, or is she mm. disappointed because he was being like, fuck you? Yeah, I don't right. know. I do think it's possible as both. I think it's a complicated moment for her. I think it's her being like, yeah, she's in competition with Kim, and yes. it's stupid. They shouldn't be in competition with each other, but they are, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that's just like a gut reaction. Like, they've had like one minute to process this in a crowded room. So it's not like she's going home to be like, well, it's not oh, like she's. It's just a quick thing where everything about her, from her perspective, is being torn down. So, like, her esteem is on trial this whole time, and then Mm. this happens. So, I just kind of feel like she's going through a lot, and we talked about, like, how she's super complicated. And so, they're in competition. So, she goes upstairs with this guy, and in a moment, she's like, I'm winning. He wants me. Look at my lips and how badly he wants my lips on him. And, like, there's that shot of her lips, and she's given her, like, Rachel Senate, you know, classic pout. And she's like, <laughs> you, yeah, you want these blowjob lips. And she's giving that in a way that, like, I'm winning here. But right. then I think however it ends, whichever version of it that is, it's kind of like, oh, wait a second. Yeah. This is not a win. Because him leaving isn't a win. Her doing it with him while she knows about his wedding ring and his wife and baby downstairs isn't her <sighs> winning. Like, she, yeah. I think it's just a lot of that. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And of course, in case you're wondering, for a first time watch, all of this is very stressful. Like every time Daniel goes into the bathroom, <laughs> the anxiety really <laughs> ratchets up for me because mm-hmm. she keeps doing very naughty things in the bathroom. And I kept waiting for this full house. Like we keep getting people asking about the toilets and drinking coffee and eating food. And I'm like, she is going to be discovered. So I yeah. hated this scene, not just because of the moral complexity of it, but because I kept waiting for the door to get smashed open. <laughs> and and yeah. honestly, it's a bit subversive to that, to have that, that never happen. Like, yeah. it, but, but, but the suspense is always there. Yes, always. Because always. We're, just, we're waiting for all these secrets to come out. If not, why have you introduced a bunch of secrets in the narrative? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So speaking of one, you know, obviously we've inferred quite a bit about the relationship between Danielle and Maya. But after this, she finally manages to get out of the house for a quick breather. And she and Maya finally have a bit of a, all right, let's break it down. And we get the confirmation that, yes, they had a bisexual experimentation and then neither one of them kind of followed up with the other one (laughs) and i i love we're bickering across the alley we yell and then we smash kiss it's very fun i love it (laughs) also as they walk back inside you hear a woman off screen go look she's eating (laughs) (laughs) 
like all eyes are on everyone at every moment, right? Yeah. Like everyone is watching who you're talking to, what you're talking about, what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so fun. I do root for Maya and Danielle in this. I mean, because that even for though sure. like it may not be the end game of their lives, it is the end game of this film. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We actually did jump over the scene where her mom sort of talks about this. It's after she comes out of cleaning right. her vomit up with Maya. Uh, I just wanted to give a couple of quotes from Seligman. So it's two different interviews, one with Slate and one with NYU Local. And Seligman says, I think a lot of older liberal-ish Jews are not even aware that they have these contradictions where they're accepting at large, but still don't really understand sexual fluidity and gender fluidity. And she was talking about both bisexuality and kind of transness. And then she says in another interview, I wanted to portray the way your family just doesn't really get bisexuality. They think you're experimenting or actually gay or whatever, but I'm also really tired of seeing that be the main conflict of a character's journey. Well, I think also it's a thing too, I mean, because I, I don't know if you can relate to this, Joe, but it's a thing where it's like, you know, when you're growing up queer, you you, you pay attention to how your parents react to other queer people, especially Always. on television shows or movies. But it's like, oh, like, you know, and you're gauging that to be like, okay, cool. Like, do they, are they okay with it enough to where I feel comfortable coming out to them? And I feel like a lot of times, or maybe I'm just protecting here, but like where it's like, okay, cool. My parents are fine with it. But then when you tell them, it's like, oh, no, it's fine if other people are queer, but not my child. My child can't be queer, you know? Mm. And that's kind of the vibe I get from her mom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the quote from Seligman is pretty telling this idea of I'm open to it, but it is different when it's your kid or if you don't fit into mm -hmm. a very narrow box, right? Like, I think we're in a day and age now where gay and lesbian are kind of, okay, I get that. I understand exactly what that means. You know, like you like people of the same sex yeah. as you. But then bisexuality, like, there's quite a few interview quotes with Seligman where she talks about, oh, bisexuality being people think you're just horny and you want to fuck everybody or you can't yeah. decide or it's a gateway and you haven't figured out that a you're stepping actually stone. gay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, throw pansexual in it because I did, you know, we were recording this like a couple days ago. Wayne Brady came out as pansexual. And I, when I tell you, I was like, I don't want to read the replies to these, <laughs> these articles yeah. because, because people are awful. Yeah. <laughs> But it, it's tricky, right? I mean, I think that her parents are fairly open-minded, as you said, Lindsay. I think they're actually very supportive of her in the usual sort of <laughs> naggy, overbearing way. But it does seem very clear that the sexuality angle is the piece that her mother doesn't really get. And particularly when she says, you know, I, I was alive in the 80s. I've got great gaydar. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's a deflection. That's the kind of thing that someone would say. But even in the climax for the film, like there's a part where she's like, oh, yeah, you're, you're going to do well. You should share. You're going to find a good man to take care of you. And I'm like, oh, you didn't mm. say person. Like you did not say person. <laughs> yep. I don't know that this is specific to the Jewish community. I know that that's sort of what um, I think you said Seligman said in the first quote. She mentioned that specifically. Right. I won't say that for sure if that's just like a generational thing or if it just happened to be the people that I know. So mm -hmm. like I said, I'm not queer, but I do have a lot of queer cousins and queer family members. And I remember when the first one of them of my generation came out, you know, there were Mixed reactions, if that makes any sense. No yeah, one sure. was massively negative, but it wasn't like an, oh, great, move on. Like, you know. Pride like, parade. It's not a party. <laughs> yeah. Yay, it's over. Like, big deal. Um, 
And I remember talking to one of my relatives where I was saying, like, let's dig into this a bit. Like, what's going on here? And they said, I've got no problem. I'm progressive. I'm whatever. Right. Uh, but it's not a life I would wish on my kid. So I would be disappointed to hear that about my kid. Oh, okay. And yeah. I was like, it was it such is. an interesting, yeah, it was an interesting moment because it's so easy to be like, and I, again, I deflect to you too, obviously. It's so easy to hear that and think like that's homophobic. But I think the point they were making was that like what they had experienced in their life was seeing queer people be marginalized. So they were saying like, I would be disappointed and upset to hear that because I don't want my kid to live it's through that. It's a hard that. life. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, interesting so i kind of maybe that's just a personal experience issue but i kind of saw that a little here where they're like it's not mm. understanding it's like you can be whatever you want whatever but to have a happy life you will marry a man and you have three kids and you'll be a right okay so right. I, i'm gonna bring up a different movie here because i and this is a very controversial scene in this movie but have y'all seen the family stone i have but i could not remember that okay. scene yeah, and I've heard all about it and not seen it. Uh, I love this movie. My husband hates it. Uh, but there is a scene where they're all at the dinner table, and there's one of the the brothers is he's he's deaf and he's gay, and his right. his partner is a black man. But there's a mm. part where Sarah Jessica Parker, who's like the interloper of the family, because she's dating one of the brothers, Diane Keaton's like, oh, I wish all my children were gay. And Sarah Jessica Parker's like, you don't actually wish that, do you? Like, no one would wish that because it, it's a life of hardship and. I get like it does come I get where she's coming from I get what she's saying it's exactly what mm -hmm. you're saying Lindsay about where it's like yeah like it's a harder life to be gay yes. but the whole family turns on her and it's like you're homophobic yes. you're horrible you're awful blah 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 and it's this big thing and I was like ah like she shouldn't have said it but I understand where she's yeah. coming from when she says that it's not as black and white it's far more complicated a hundred percent yeah yeah I mean, I definitely kind of felt a little bit of that when I came out. Like, I I think I've told this story on the pod, but like my parents were both very open and accepting. And then a couple of weeks later, maybe a couple of days later, I was out with my mom and my mom saw someone who was very flamboyant and very femme. And she said, oh, I'm just glad that you're not like them. Oh, yeah. And then later on, she ended up telling my sister, well, I just really don't want him to get AIDS. And Ooh, I was like, boy. these are extreme reactions. Yeah. But I, I think, A, she was leaning too much into stereotypes. But I think also it was these are the things that the media has told me are bad and yeah. those people are more likely to attract danger, problems, a hard life, and so on. Like, yeah. you have to read between the lines, but, you know, the initial reaction is, holy shit, mom, what the fuck? And then you take the step back and think, okay, I think part of it is she doesn't want me to die. She doesn't want me to get gay bashed. Yeah, you, you have to look at the whole side. So I, I, I get what both of y'all are saying in all of these situations. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's, like, really what this is sort of tapping into because it's not – I mean, queerness is not the same thing as choosing a major. Do not get me wrong. <laughs> so before I even, like, accidentally say that on your podcast, I do think it's, like, that's sort of the whole beat. Like, she's saying, like, Mom, accept the career that I want. Her mom's going, I accept your career that you want, but, like, mm -hmm. it's going to make you happier to have a money-making career. Right. And I accept the version of your life that you want, but it's going to, you know – or the things that you like is how she views it. Mm -hmm. I accept that you like women. I accept that sometimes you want to be with women. But at the end of the day, to be happy, these are the things that you're going to have. And I yeah. think that, like, it's sort of that confusion, which I just find – I think it's just, like, really, um like, nuanced. Again, it seems like she's so naggy and terrible and horrible. But really, it's coming from a place of, like, 
I just want you to be happy. We're kind of like, mom, I'm going to be happier if I'm my authentic self. Like that sort of thing. And I, yeah, I think it's a really layered conversation. Yeah. Speaking of layered, it's introduced here and will really pay it off at the end of the film. But Maya is, of course, the one who finds Danielle's unlocked phone, which means she's seeing all of the sugar baby phone messages. So when Danielle asks her, hey, have you seen my phone? Maya more or less threatens to out her to her parents and then calls her a fucking whore. Yeah. Yeah, but that's like an impulsive, like, I'm hurt reaction. Yes, and I think it's also coming from a place of confusion. She doesn't entirely understand why Daniel would be doing this. Yeah. But we pay it off when they get out of the house and they actually have a conversation away from the prying eyes and ears of everyone at the Shiva. And I love the rationalization of because I wanted to make money for myself and I wanted to feel powerful. Mm -hmm. Like that is such a great fucking perspective on sex work. But I think it also the Maya reaction is also showing that even like Gen Z, who I think is as a generally generally is much more progressive, sexually fluid, accepting these types of things. Mm -hmm. Sex work is still not (laughs) totally stigmatized. Yeah, it's still very stigmatized. Um, I'm sorry. There is also a really good joke that we did skip that when they're looking at that Holocaust Museum pictures, (laughs) she's like, you guys are at the Holocaust Museum. You look so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Yep. Um, so the horror stuff does continue throughout all of this. I feel like we, you know, we talked about it sporadically, but if you haven't seen the film, you have to understand it never goes away. It's very ebbs and flows, but you know, there's this sequence where after Maya has called her a fucking horror, we see everyone eating in slow motion close-ups with like mm. really powerful sound foley. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. And then uh, when Kim talks about having potentially a second child, this is when things really start to close in around Danielle. And the lighting even goes a little bit red. Like, she is properly in fucking hell. Like, we're like in a giallo here. (laughs) 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 This is the moment where my friend, when we were watching it, was like, I think I need to pause this. Like... Oh, it wasn't during the baby shake song. Oh, wait, no that that is what it is. <laughs> it is yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, the ba- <laughs> just I was like, is this a hallucination? Is she having a waking nightmare? And to a certain extent, yes, because Daniel just has to flip out on everybody and yell at them to stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is when we do get the rabbi, who is played by Ariel Elias, reciting oh, the rabbi. mourner's kiddish. The mourner's kaddish, yes. Ah, thank you. Yes, things are not. You, you don't say oh, them yeah. as they are spelled. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, say mourner's kaddish. Well, I don't know. That's what we say. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe there are some people who don't say it that way. But. I mean, you you corrected the way I was going to say bagels and and locks, and you yeah. were like, no, we say lux. So we hit everything like, with a with a u sound. A lot of us. but but is that toronto specific or canada specific i don't think so there's like actually um so a lot of like our a's and o's become u sounds and it actually one that comes up a lot is latka which is spelled like l-a-t-k-e oh yeah i say latka because like the the breakfast pastry thing no the potato potato pancakes damn it okay you were close so we say we say latkas 
And yeah, and then I remember hearing a couple of people say Lockie, and I was like, what the oh. fuck are they saying? And I was like mad about it and was like, fake, <laughs> they're not real, get off my TV, and was like really angry. And apparently it's a regional thing. You're going to oh. love this, Lindsay. So all oh my of like the Jewish knowledge that I got growing up. Oh no, here we go. I can't no, wait. It was from Rugrats because yes. the, the oh. main, and there's a whole Passover episode and I remember the grandparents talking about latkes and so, yes. I, I and, and again, it's like a children's cartoon about babies where the main family is a Jewish family. Yes. And isn't Rugrats Canadian? I don't know if it's Canadian. It's Nickelodeon, I it's thought. It's Nickelodeon, I don't know. But it is Jewish and the Passover episode is like mainstay. Oh yeah, Passover, I, I still remember that shit. Here he's like watching Hebrew school every year. It's American Joe. I was wrong. It's American. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, but yeah, like think about like luck. Like when I was saying like locks is locks, like lucka is an A and an E. And yeah. both you sounds. <laughs> well, they that say lotka in Rugrats. <laughs> yeah. Lotka. I had one for lunch today. <laughs> oh, delicious. I've made lotkas. Oh, no. I, I'm, I had to make lotkas once for something. Maybe it was, was like a cultural thing in one of my classes, but yeah, we had to make latkes. I don't know. I don't remember oh my why. God. I know it's like a very simple, like three ingredient recipe ish, not actually, but like I am confident that mine are the greatest that have ever existed. Oh, wow. Like there's no doubt in my mind. <laughs> She's going so. there. Taste test. <laughs> just like no problem. Anytime. anytime. Uh, anytime you want to make them for me, Lindsay, I'm, just let I'm me know. I'm there. I'm on my way. Wait, what is the unleavened <laughs> bread? Is there a name for that? Matzah. Matzah, okay. <laughs> sometimes spelled with A, sometimes spelled with yeah, sometimes spelled like A I say and matzah. A, and sometimes A and O, but it's it's still matzah. I you and you. <laughs> well, speaking of all of this food, we do move into the kitchen because Max wants to have a private conversation with Danielle. Yes. And this is basically where he breaks things off. And everybody kind of gives a sigh of relief. Okay, maybe they're gonna make it out of this without getting discovered. And then that's when they realize there's another person in the kitchen. So Mrs. Bronstein, played by Rita Gardner, overhears them. But she's deaf-ish. This this is also is like a horror movie tracking shot where it's like, so like they tell her to go to the bathroom upstairs. And so the camera follows her. And as yep. she does, all of a sudden, oh, look, Kim is standing Kim. right there. <laughs> I loved it. I loved this moment. It was so well executed. Mm-hmm. And this this exchange, this is like the big blow up between her and Kim. And yes. I... Because as y'all said, you know, Kim never like gets angry really in this movie, but this is the closest. The, the line where she, because she's trying to get her to hold this baby and she goes, well, it's not brain surgery. Just hold her. Because <laughs> of course we have to remember that Danielle has been talking a big game about her babysitting gig the entire movie. We have set this up, this Which moment from the testing. very beginning. She's also testing it. She's like, girl, babysitting. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> babysitting my husband babysitting with his my... dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will not lie. I almost had to look away when Max runs in and we have this fight over the baby because I was just like, are we going to drop a baby in this movie? Yeah. I cannot. No. Yeah. Edge of my seat. It never happens. Just like no one ever walks into the bathroom. It never happens. But you were constantly like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, what is the worst possible thing that can happen right now? Well, it's still a subversion, though, because we think the baby's going to go down and something does break. It's just a vase. It's not the baby. Well, and they it's the books because the books are sacred and they fall on the floor. Yes. But- and then they make the joke about fasting, which... It was very funny. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it was like this old thing that like, if you drop a pseudo on the ground, you have to like, 
do a certain thing to repent, but mm. and one of those things could be fasting. It's like the joke about like that's like forty years of fasting. It's real, but it's also like one of, like it is a real thing, but it's right. also one of those like like Hebrew school urban legends where it's like, oh, oh shit, the rabbi's gonna make you fast for forty years. We're like, oh no, it's like dropping the spirit stick and yes, 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 exactly. <laughs> Honestly, it's like when I saw that, I was like, oh, I get it. Because like, Catholics don't have anything like that. We yeah. can draw Bibles. It's fine. So you can drop the Siddurahs, like the printed, like the stack of books. You can drop those and you have to kiss them when you pick them up. Uh, but if you drop go. like the actual Torah, it's like you have to fast for 40 years. And it's like, Oof. or some, I mean, or 40 days or some whatever. Right. But like, I don't know. Maybe it's real. There's probably someone listening who's like, Lindsay, it's very real. But I'm like, no, it's just like, an, like it's one of those like, like you this, know, old, know. old, real things that like there's probably like a Bible story about <laughs> someone doing it and persevering. But it's more just like the, uh-oh, the rabbi's going to make you fast. <laughs> that. And you're like, oh, no, I'm in so much trouble. It's amazing. Oh, no, my luckas. Oh, no. I want to luckas or lux or matzah. My lux and my luckas and my matzah. <laughs> or the filter fish and all the other you foods. <laughs> I hope this episode is making people hungry. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> all right. So, yes, uh, this is Danielle's sort of big emotional moment, and her mom is there to help her out. And, yes, we get the joke about she could always move home. No! No! <laughs> so, we leave the Shiva, finally. Danielle's been trying to do this for about the last two to five hours. And um, I like that she has this heart-to-heart with Maya Things seem a little bit better. But of course, then we get this joke that they're taking too long and their parents are berating them. Why aren't you at the car already? So it's very much back to the beginning kind of conversations we were having. And uh, then everybody, and I mean everybody, Maya, her mother, Catherine, Maureen, Max, Kim, baby Rose, as well as Danielle and all of her family have to crowd into this minivan for some last (laughs) physical humor and then, of course, Joel can't find the keys because he couldn't find his phone earlier. And it's just like, at this point, I knew it was only a 77-minute movie, but I needed it to end because this was insufferable. <laughs> I was like, I have reached the end. I cannot. Yeah. How much longer are we going to drag it out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, true, uh, at least we ended on a nice little button. You know, like, all of this sucks. But... Maya extends a hand and grabs Danielle's hand, and they have, like, a nice touching moment before we just cut to black. Yeah. I like that we end with a moment of queer joy Mm -hmm. in this movie that is questioning how, how much Danielle can actually be her authentic self. Like, so much of it is about her relationship with Max that I like the movie ending on this moment of queerness. Yeah. Yeah. And I would have gladly taken more of this movie, but like, you know, I feel like we always talk about, oh, wow, it feels like a short that's been stretched to feature length. And while that is quite literally what this one does, it Mm -hmm. all works. It all Mm -hmm. works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think this is a big hurdle for someone who made an eight minute short, like jumping from eight minutes to 77 minutes may seem like, oh, okay, you know, she could have pushed it further. She could have done more. But I think... Maintaining the tone of this film for 77 minutes without exhausting the audience, I think that that's quite a feat. Oh, yeah. And it's just so, like, I want to spend more time with these characters. Um, But no, yeah, the movie doesn't need it. Like, how many feature length movies get released under 80 minutes? Like, that's not 
to be honest, quite common. I feel like a lot of times they require you to have like 85 to 90. But oh, Trace, you're not watching enough Amityville films. <laughs> <laughs> Thing. I, is it a, an awards contender thing? There's something about length. I don't know. I'm making well, that up. But it couldn't have been because this movie got a lot of awards recognition. Well, maybe not. Okay, like so maybe not. I don't know. know. I might have. Been I think it was a. Up. It was a back in the day distinction between A features and B. Oh. So like you had to have a certain runtime, otherwise you were a B film, and they would slot you in accordingly based on like theatrical exhibition. But I don't know if that's still a holdover because even things like when you watch Netflix shows and you know you get a twenty six minute episode and then a sixty eight minute episode, and you're like, okay, is this just Netflix yeah, like, doing sure, their big flex? <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah, I think, like, to your point about the tone, like, I know, I'm probably just gonna say exactly what you just said. But yeah, there's a lot of, like, want for more, more time with Maya, more time understanding the sugar baby situation and what Mm -hmm. that all is, Mm -hmm. more time understanding these things. But I think that in doing that, they would lose momentum. Like, I think what works so well is this, like, staccato angst that is just like it never lets up there's no time to look at her phone and see what's happening on the app and explain that because you're too busy being like someone's gonna open the door while you're taking that nude like Mm -hmm. it can't lose that momentum so i kind of think that one was sort of sacrificed for the other in ways a possible growth maybe i don't know um and then yeah it's a long 77 like yeah it is it feels like i was convinced this was an hour and 40 yeah (laughs) it feels like but not in a way that you're like this movie's too long get me out of here but no it's just get me out of here it's the intended effect like it's supposed to feel long because you are anxious for all of it but like and staccato was a great descriptor for it fantastic yes Go. I was capitalizing off of you describing the crescendo. So ah, music terms, yay! Oh, yeah, theater nerd, <laughs> can't see there. Um, <laughs> God. Well, okay. So that that is Shiva, maybe everyone. Do we have any final thoughts, Lindsay? No, I think we covered it. Shout out to Hot Rabbi. Um, if there's any anniversaries hearing this, shout out to my hot canter. You know, you know who you are. <laughs> it's nice to see hot rabbis. I think. There. Okay. Agreed. Uh, I don't see many hot priests in my day, so yeah. We usually see well, we usually see Fred Malamed as yes, that's type true. guys that as true. rabbis. <laughs> yeah. It's nice to see like a good looking rabbi and he's not important. He's in it for like one second. Mm-hmm. That's, it. that's all I got. <laughs> Representation matters. <laughs> we need a hot rabbi, okay? Do you realize like three days from now I'm gonna get a phone call from like my great aunt being like, I heard what you said about the cantor. So, <laughs> oh god, they know Grandma, now. Not oh, what you no, think. I gotta change shoes. My Grandma, rabbi's I'm bisexual. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Well, before we announce that we're covering next week, uh, Lindsay, if you want people to find you on social media, where can they do that? Sure. I'm on Instagram because we're dwindling. We're culling. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Smash Travis, S-M-A-S-H-T-R-A-V-E-S. But yeah, you can just find me all over the internet. That's where I'm at. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorQueers. Shoot us an email at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Go to our YouTube channel to check out our interviews with various horror filmmakers. And tune in once a month to hear about our most anticipated horror films for that month. If you want to chat with other listeners, go to our Facebook Horror Queers group. If you want to show us some love, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you want even more content, please support the show. 
by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. We are nearing... Oh, no, we're in the middle of August. <laughs> so subscribe today and you'll get around 258 hours of Patreon content, including this month's discussion of horror tropes that gotta go, as well as episodes on Meg 2, The Trench, Talk to Me, and The Last Voyage of the Demeanor. And tying in with that last one is our audio commentary for the month on Bram Stoker's Dracula, the 1992 Francis Ford Coppola film. Mm. Joe! Yes. We have another short movie next week. <laughs> we do, yes, but we're changing gears quite dramatically. So, Trace, uh, I feel like last summer, because what is time? I feel like last summer we did a summer camp block. I could be wrong. But um, it's time to go back to camp because we're going to talk about Sleepaway Camp 2, Unhappy Campers, for its 35th anniversary. Yes. And I think, I, if I recall correctly, I talked this one up a lot in that Sleepaway Camp episode because I do prefer it to Sleepaway Camp. Um. <laughs> yeah. So I'm interested to see whether or not you hold the film in the same high esteem this time around. I am too. But until next week, everyone, we can cross out Shiva Baby. Indeed. And cross out Horror Queers. Horror Queers.